We are taking a uh, four-week break from the Gospel of Mark. If you've been around for a while, you'll know we've been in Mark for 42 weeks. <clears throat> exactly, actually. And we have a few more weeks to go. We'll end Mark at Easter, and then I'll tell you near the time what we're doing after that. We're doing a four-week um, break in Mark uh, because I wanted to speak into some stuff that's really uh, foundational and important for us as a church. Uh, what we're going to cover uh, in the next four weeks uh, brings together uh, who we are as a church, who we want to be as a church, what we're going to do as a church, uh, areas of massive focus and value for us over the next three to five years. So it's, uh, if you're new to the church, if you've never been before and you're visiting, like the next four weeks, you're basically going to get everything uh, in the next four weeks. So I know it's like a long time to visit a church, but if you can come for four weeks, you've already made one, uh, keep coming and then you'll get a feel like, okay, I want to hang around with that, or like, no, that sounds like not my place, whatever. But you'll get, every, you'll get a clear snapshot of who we are and what we're going to be doing over the next while. And if you've been around for a while, this will hopefully be very um, clarifying. Uh, why are we doing this series? We've called this series um, Reformation. Reformation, if you are a student, you'll see it says Reformation, which is quite uh, clever of the guys who came up with it. I wanted to call it Reformed, uh, but that is a bit of a loaded word, and so I got voted down on calling it Reformed because it comes with a lot of baggage. But the reason why we're doing this, this is the most important part of this long-winded introduction, is that I am... 100% convinced that for every single one of us in this room, from, from the day you were born until now, the world is trying to and is successfully discipling you into its ways that have very little to do with the ways of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Your default, every message you get, every every advertising stroke, every loud voice out there, the way society is structured is to disciple you into the ways and conformity to a system, a way of living that has nothing about following in the ways of Jesus and nothing about putting this, the priority of the kingdom of God at the center of your life. And so the call for us who want to be Jesus followers is a call to constantly be reformed, to be reforming, to be changing, to not being uh, uh, squashed and molded into the world's mold, but being changed and transformed into new patterns and beliefs and uh, ways of living that follow Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, verse 2, a verse that some of you will know well, no doubt. He says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is his instruction to them. Don't be, don't be conformed to this age. Don't just go along with everything you're told and taught and shaped by in the world out there. Instead, be transformed, be metamorphosized by how? How does it happen? By the renewing of your mind, by getting new beliefs, having, your, having yourself re-hardwired so that you live differently. Thomas Cranmer, who's a theologian a few hundred years ago, uh, his thoughts were summarized 
by Tim Keller in one sentence that will explain how this works in your life. He said, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That's how your life works. You do what your heart loves, your will then chooses it, and your mind justifies your behavior. And uh, without doing a full deep dive on, on how we work and how we're wired as people, I just want to make it clear that there's sort of two categories. There is the below the water is, if you want, under the, under the waterline of the boat. Uh, your heart attitudes, your mind, your beliefs, your convictions, and then above is your patterns of behavior and how you live. And the one informs the other. The one informs the other. The one sets the pace for the other. Uh, I, I read an article uh, last week, not a Christian article. The person was speaking about why, why um, New Year's resolutions don't stick. And this might be uh, timely for uh, some of you. Clar clarifying, why are you, why are you already bailing on some of them? And the argument was this. The reason why um, New Year's resolutions don't stick is because Normally, people are making commitments to new patterns of behavior and to living and doing different things without the necessary transformation of their convictions and their values. So what happens is you run out of steam with the rearranging of your New Year's, New Year's resolution because you don't have, deep down, you haven't had a change of beliefs. And so you, your New Year's resolution just run out of gas. It's like, and it may take a week, it may take three weeks, it may take three months, but they're going to run out of steam because you haven't, at the core of what you really believe, fundamentally had a shift in how you see certain things or what you believe about. And my uh, hope and my um, conviction and plan over the next four weeks is to interrogate our beliefs, to reconfirm them, and have some of them changed. Uh, I'm, I'm playing open cards with you. I want to change some of your convictions and your beliefs over the next four weeks, so that your behavior and our rhythms and our patterns of living change. I'm not going to give you a million things to do. We are going to get very practical, practical over the next four weeks. But guys, if we just, as a church, talk about, hey, let's do all these things, and we don't have reformed and reforming convictions and beliefs, they have no staying power. You, you won't actually change as a person. You won't change the way that you uh, live. You won't know more of the joy and the life of what it means to walk um, following Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing because uh, as, as Christians, we're primarily about who we're becoming, not just about what we're doing. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans 8 verse 29. He says, for those, speaking about God, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That, there's a lot in that verse. Okay, there's a lot. But this is, this is the summary of it. God's plan for you is that you would look more like Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for you. That's why he chose you. He's always had this plan and he chose you that you would be ongoingly transformed to look more like Jesus. So here's a simple question about whether you're making any progress in your walk with the Lord and your Christian faith. Do you look more like Jesus? Do you sound more like Jesus? Do you think more like Jesus? Does your character reflect more of the person of Jesus? Does your life line up more with the teachings of Jesus? That's a hard question, eh? 
Some of us are thinking, hectic, not this year. Like, I'll catch up. Feb will be better. Jan's been a bit slow. I'm on my way there. You know, guys, this is going to take your whole life to be ongoingly shaped. But this is the goal, that you look more like Jesus. That's what you measure against. Not like, I'm not as bad as that person. Okay, I'm not as good as that person. Thankfully, I'm not that person. Well, I'm not my old self. You're not measuring yourself against your old self. You're measuring yourself against, do I look more like Jesus Christ? That's the goal, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why it's important that we have reformed and reforming beliefs, that we are constantly being changed. Sorry, I'm getting myself in a mess here. I'm going to break this thing, Dave. Sorry, give me a second. Oh, my gosh. How's your January going? Okay. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be doing this. Gather. Oh, where's it gone? Gather, grow, give, go. We didn't come up with these four Gs. Somebody else did, but it's nice and easy to remember it. Gather, grow, give, go. And what we do in those four weeks is we're going to pull together seven values and principles that we treasure as a church that are going to shape us in the, becoming the kind of people we want to be. We've put this thing up there. You're going to see a lot of this over the next couple of years. If you're on that side, you're not going to see much of it. Um, but I'll read it to you because maybe you can't see. You don't have a bendy neck. These are seven things that as we, as Parker's Community Church, want to become gospel-centered, multiplying disciples of Jesus, we want to be biblical. We want to be communal. We want to be spirit-empowered. We want to be worshipful. We want to be compassionate. We want to be stewards, and we want to be evangelistic. Now, I know already some of you are thinking, I can think of some things you've left out of there. So, so can we. Uh, oh, and why is that there? Well, I'm going to explain all of these things over the next four weeks. Each of these are going to find a home, an explanation. Um, we have come to these convictions, a group of us, over the last 18 months as we've dived into the Scriptures and talked and prayed and shared and tried to hear from the Lord around what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be? Um, next year, Jan, is our 10th anniversary. Yeah, some of you are thinking, 10 years already? Like, that's, that's gone quickly. Um, I'm 10 years older. If you were part of the start of the church, like, yeah, you were like a decade older than when we started the whole thing. So it's like, we're 10 now. Like, we're, we're adults as a church. You know, we're getting, getting a bit older. What do we want the next season of church life to be? What kind of people do we want to be? What, what stuff do we want to be doing? This is going to dictate everything that we are about and everything that we do um, over the next few years. And so I, I want us to dig deep into our convictions and our beliefs and see how this uh, shapes us and changes us. So this week we are looking at gather. Gather and it deals with the piece of that pie on be communal. Be communal. Gather. Why should we gather? Why should we gather? I know that if you've been around for a while, some of you might be thinking this is repetition. I did do a message late last year on why church is essential. Uh, if you heard it, maybe you'll remember it. If you didn't, you can go and find it. It deals in more detail with some passages and stuff around why I think church is an essential part of life and why you should actually prioritize the in-person gathering of a local body of believers. There's a lot in that sentence, but you can just unpack it yourself. I want to take a slightly different tack this morning and answer that question, why do we gather? There's two ways that you can answer that. One is a pragmatic answer and one has theological foundations. 
So I'll deal with the first one, the pragmatic one, and then we'll dig into the theological foundations. It's a more positive one. The pragmatic one is maybe slightly more negatively based. Uh, this is one way and one view that people have of church, of why you should gather, why you should go to church. It's pragmatic. It's, it's a needs-based thing. I have needs, and the church or going to church meets uh, those needs. Some people go to church to make friends. They don't have lots of friends elsewhere, or their best friends are at church. They, you know, it's not that they don't like Jesus or love Jesus, but they don't go primarily for Jesus. They go because their mates are there. Uh, they go to hang out with friends. Um, some people are lonely, and it's, they go to church because it, it averts loneliness. Maybe you live alone, you work remotely, online. You know, this is the most people you're ever with in any week. So you don't want to be lonely, so you, you go to church. Uh, and it, it helps avert the loneliness. This is some people are, are looking for a spouse. I mean, spouse hunting, I mean, it's a thing. Uh, we were on holiday down in Cape Town. We went to a couple of churches. And I realized how young our church is. And I thank God for it. It's lacquer, you know. There's lots of young oaks in our church, babies everywhere. It's a vibe, you know. We went to a couple of churches we went to. Man, I felt like an old age home. I mean, it was just average age people there, like normal. But it felt ancient. And I ought to turn my hearing aid up while I was amongst them. But it was just average age people like myself and a bit older, you know. <laughs> but it felt so old because our church is young and it's wonderful. But some people go to church spouse hunting. You know, they go, look, uh, check it out, like, uh, oh, okay, uh, this church has got some interesting, good-looking, fairly average, good-looking, above-average-looking people. I can hang around here, you know, work through a few people. Okay, it's not, this is not the place. Move to the next church, trying to find a spouse, you know? I mean, it's a thing. I mean, you can laugh at me all you want, but it happens. Some of you found your spouse in this church, so you can laugh at me all you want. Uh, but I did your weddings. I know the stories, and thank God for that. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to find a spouse in the church. It's just not the ultimate reason why you should go to church. Can I, somebody say amen? amen. All right, thank you very much. Okay. What are you amening so much for? <laughs> just because I found my spouse at church, now you can amen there. Some people, some people go to church for their kids. I know this service, most of you don't have kids because we only do the kids stuff at the first thing. But some people go to church for their kids. It's good for the kids. Give them a good grounding, you know. Get the solids, basic stuff into them. You know, they don't do Bible ed at church at school anymore. So you've got to take them to the church. And the people at the church will teach them the good things, you know, and teach them all the essential stories of Jonah and the whale and Noah and the ark that they need to know to get through life, you know. It's a good thing for the, for the kids. Um, some people do it to have a break from their kids, to be honest. Like, they're just like, hallelujah, the kids, church people can have the kid for, kid for a couple of minutes, and I can just zone out. I don't have to listen to the sermon, but it's a break. Sunday morning, I get to wind away a little, a couple of minutes, and it's not so bad. You know, they do it for the kids. Some, some people do it for, go to church for pep talk positivity. Yeah, this is not that church, by the way. If you're visiting, this is not that kind of a church. I'm not a pep talk positive person. I'm like, you suck. You need Jesus, and he can redeem and fix the mess you have made of your own life. He does love you, but you need help. You know, that's my kind of pep talk positivity kind of vibe. I'm not that kind of dude, you know. But you go to some churches, and it's just like, that's the vibe. The vibe is like, 
positivity the whole way. You come in, the band are pumping, the are shredding, the guitars are lots of zooting, whatever. Woo, woo, woo. Everyone is on freaking, what's the drug that makes you super happy? Huh? Come on, some of you take antidepressants, <laughs> like you. I'm not judging the antidepressant people, but people take those things that make you just happier, you know? It feels like the whole church are all flipping mainlining that stuff. No one's battling, no one's having a tough time. Everyone is flipping lacquer, you know? And they only sing happy songs, and then the oak gets up to preach, and they have to either wear a suit or skinny, skinny clothes, and be good looking, and then tell everyone, you can do it, you can do it, yes you can, you can do it. That's basically the essence of the message, is that you can do it, and this is how you can do it. And then everyone's like, yes, I can do it, yes, I can do it. Close with a song to remind the people, you can do it, you can do it, and send them home believing, you can do it. And then you have to come back next week to be reminded that you can do it because in the week you realize you couldn't do it. So you need to go back for another pep talk kind of thing. <laughs> Imagine going to a church like that. Just describing the church, I'm exhausted. Um, some people go to church for pep talk positivity. Some people, it's just the right thing to do. You grew up going to church. Your parents did it. They took you. You just go to church. That's what you do. It's, it's good. good. Good people go to church. Some people go to church because... You make such a regular mess of your life. You're so mired in patterns of sin and wandering in darkness that you, you feel like going to church or say just some of the guilt, offset some of the guilt of the mess of the, that you're making of your life. There's a million reasons we could do this the whole morning of why people go to church. It's pragmatic. And this is the problem, that if you go for those reasons, you only keep going as long as it works for you. If you go for friends and you don't make friends, then you leave. You stop going. You find another church where you can make friends. If you're going for a spouse, like I said, you have a look around, no options here. Next church, you know, find a place with better looking people. If you go for the pep talk positivity and it's not peppy enough, then you go somewhere else. If you're going for something that you receive, if you stop receiving it, you stop going. That's the problem with a pragmatic view of the attendance of why we should gather, why you should be part of a church. And the difficulty is that people will go to church as long as it fits with your priorities and with your pragmatic, with your plan. As soon as, it, as soon as going to church asks more of you or it inconveniences you, no, then it's, no, I didn't, I, that's not why I go. I don't go to be inconvenienced. I don't go to be stretched. I don't go for uncomfortable messages. I go for positivity. Or I go for encouragement. I go for these things. And as soon as you encounter a church that asks more of you than you were willing to give, you tap out of it. Something better comes up on a Sunday morning. It's easy. It's not even a discussion in your head. It's like, well, that fits my priorities and my deep desires and convictions. Let me do that. That's the pragmatic thing. A theological foundation is far more sound, and it is built on who we are as a church. Who we are as a church. I'm speaking in the plural there's many verses that we could look at. Let's have, it, have a look at one here. That Peter's speaking about who the church is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
What is a church? What is a church? The, the, the Bible uses many metaphors and pictures to describe what a church is. Some of what Peter dives into here is theological language. But this, it's, a, it's a people. It's a people who have been called out of darkness into light. You were in darkness. That's where you don't know God. And God, God called you and you responded. You didn't sign up to be transferred from darkness to light. As a reminder, you didn't sign up. God called you and moved you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light so that you collectively, us collectively, would declare the praises of him who did that for us. We would be the people who look at, have a look around the room at each other, like genuinely, actually, please look. These are the people, these are people who have received mercy. If you're a believer in Jesus, you might be looking at someone who's not a believer and then they're not. No, I'm not being funny about it. I don't want to be funny. Like, if you're not a believer in Jesus yet, you are, we are welcome here. You're the most welcome here. But you are described in this as somebody who has yet to receive mercy. Uh, the only difference between Christians and non-Christians is that a Christian has received mercy. And somebody who is yet to become a Christian is yet to receive mercy. You have not been forgiven of your sin yet. You remain estranged from God and not in relationship with him. But that's what the church is. The church is the people who weren't a people, but God gathered them together as his own possession, his people. I want, I, I, I want to make this abundantly clear that if you're a Christian, this is the truest thing about you. There are lots of true things about you. This is the truest thing about you, that you belong to God as a child of his, as a forgiven child of his, secure forever because he has made it so. You are a recipient of mercy, locked in by his promise and his faithfulness to you. He will see you all the way home, and he brought you into his family called the church. It's the truest thing about you because it's the thing that's going to last the longest about you. And it's the thing you should celebrate the most about you. Bible talks about us being a family, a body, a temple of living stones, so many different descriptions. But essentially, this is what we are. We are a people. I designed a test. I think it's a good test. I'm going to explain the test to you now. The test is this. Somebody comes up to you, and they hear that you're a Christian. I ask you, it's Bryce. Bryce, I think you're a Christian. Bryce, you're a Christian for today, whether you're not. Or not. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing you. Bryce, I believe you're a Christian. Tell me about your church. It's called the tell me about your church test. Someone comes to you, and they say, hey, Brian, tell me about your church. What's your answer? What are you going to say? There's different ways that we can answer this question, aren't there? There's different ways. I've got um, rhyming, not rhyming, same letters. What is it? Alliteration. Thank you. For two of them and then, and then for the other two. You can answer it around a building. Oh, our church is beautiful. Oh, you should come. It's amazing. It's got all the stained glass, not our church. Imagine you go to one of those kind of vibes where it's just beautiful. Like some churches are built like that. They're built to like showcase the glory of God and how beautifully they're built. I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's not really my vibe, but I can appreciate it. Um, some people, it's about the building. It's like, oh, we've got a kick-ass 
facilities. I mean, you should see our kids' area. It's like all Disney-themed. It's amazing. We've got a smoke machine. Blah, blah. They talk about the building, and they juice about the building. Just, I'm going to jump ahead quickly. The church is not a building. We have, we have messed up the English language. What are you sitting in here? No, no, you're sitting in a building. You're not sitting in a church. You can't sit in a church because a church is a people. You are sitting in a church building, the building in which the church gather. That when we leave, what is this? It's a building. Yes, it's not a church because the church has left the building. The church is the people, not the building. And we've confused the language because ah, it's a church. It's like, no, it's not a church. It's a building. That's where the church meet. The church aren't there. The church are wherever. Now the church are here. Are you with me? Am I making sense? Or everyone's like, well, I don't understand. Like you needed to do English <laughs> at school. Building. Some people answer with a building. Some people answer with beliefs. Oh, our church. At our church, we believe this. We're for this. We're for this. We're against this. We're against them. You know, we, we, these are our beliefs. And they, they lead with that, what they're either for or against or what they believe. And, and, and I am... I have very strong beliefs. And as a church, I think we have very strong beliefs here. But a church is not primarily about its beliefs. It's not except its belief in Jesus, which brings it into being. But it's not primarily about its beliefs. You may answer that question. Tell me about your church. By answering about the programs, all the stuff that the church does. Uh, let me tell you about my church. Our church runs divorce recovery. We've got kids things. We feed the poor. We've got this thing going on in this school. We've got missionaries all over the place. Body blow. We do this. We do this. We've got this going on. And you talk about the church by the things that the church does. Let me tell you about my church. Explain the activities of the church. I think the answer is this. When you get asked, let me tell you about my church. You answer about the people. You tell them about the people. Because biblically, a church is people. It's a gathering of God's people. I didn't suck that out of my thumb. I read it in this book. Paul says it again and again when he's writing letters to the church. He's writing to people. He's speaking. He's mentioning. He's saying, hey, say how's it to those guys. Remind those guys who are there. He's talking about people. Yes, he's instructing them in beliefs. He's advocating practices. But it's about People, when somebody asks you, tell me about your church, tell them about the people. Not in a weird kind of way, like, let me tell you about the people in my church kind of thing, like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, we, you could do that. And I mean, you need to repent of that kind of weird uh, approach, but tell them about the people. Tell them about the people. Let me tell you about my church. I, I, I had a whole week to think this through, to work through the database, to look at your names, Names of others, names of those who some, many are with us, some aren't. I'm so grateful for Parker's Community Church. Names and names and names of people. That's what the church is. Let me tell you about our church. Somebody comes and asks me, tell me about your church. I'll, I'll tell you about my church. How long, how long do you have? Let me tell you about Olivia. Let me tell you about Olivia. You should come and meet her. She's got the heart the size of the continent. She's the most positive, bubbly person you meet. She's infectious with hospitality. You will feel so loved and interest, be somebody who's interested in you when you meet her. She'll probably invite you over. She's met this wonderful mountain of a man, got married. She's going to have a baby. Let me tell you about Olivia. Let me tell you about my church. 
And we talk about each other, we boast about each other. I picked different people in the first, first service. I picked on oh, stick and leg Amy here. Uh, I picked on Dave. I'll pick on Dave again because he's easy and he's on staff kind of thing. Let me tell you about Dave because I like this one. Dave was a weed-smoking hippie when he was in school. He was nowhere with Jesus. Let me tell you about Dave. God rescued that guy. And God set his heart on fire for Jesus. And he's a different dude, man. He is rock solid in the faith. He's the most loving husband. He's the best dad. And he blesses our church. Let me tell you about Dave. I could do this up and down all the rows. Some of you I don't know. You're newish. I could do this the whole day. Let me tell you about our church. Have you met Erwin? How many of you know Erwin? Yeah. You know, he doesn't even need any more explanation. Let me tell you about my church. Let me tell you about Erwin. Guys, when you, when you think about the church, you don't think about a place. You don't think about what you believe. You don't think about what you get up to. You think about the people because that's what a church is. It's a gathering of God's people that God has brought you into. It's a family that you get to be a part of. And it shapes us because it's part of our identity. It's not based on a transactional benefit. I go there because I receive great things from that church. It's, I go there because my identity is, is a part of that family. I'm amongst those people because God has brought me together with them to love them and to serve them and be part of it. And, and it changes how uh, our priority around the gathering um, looks, doesn't it? When that becomes your identity, you realize this is who I am. You live, you live out of that. My conviction is that I am a part of Parker's Community Church. I'm a part of the church as well. Yeah, I get to lead the team. I get to do more of the talking. But I, I'm a part of the church. I am blessed by being part of the church as well as partaking in it. I'm strengthened by being part of the church. This is, this is my church. This is, I'm, I'm part of it as well. I'm not above it or next to it or whatever. I'm part of it. We're a family together here. And so we prioritize getting together. What, what, what does it look like? You look in the book of Acts. Everyone says, oh, the church should be like the book of Acts. Is the book of Acts, the early church, is it prescriptive or descriptive? Is, is it describing what happened? Or is it prescribing for all future churches what they should do? And I, I would say to you it's more descriptive than prescriptive. I don't think it's prescriptive. I don't think every church has to do exactly everything they did in the book of Acts. But, but look what happened. Look what happened with the way that they lived. You're sitting here today, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're sitting here today because of what they did in part. They, they turned the world on its head because they were together and they shared their lives with one another. They prioritized the church. It's not that they excluded. They were evangelistic. They were about others, but they were first about each other. You see, everyone wants to be about the world. and I'm like, you, you won't be about those who don't know Jesus unless you're first about those who do know Jesus, your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't, I don't know anyone who's a strong evangelist, somebody who adds people to the church, who doesn't love the church more. Because this is a family you want to bring people into. You've got to love it first. And that's what you see in Acts. You see them gathering together in each other's homes, centered around the word, eating together, praying together, sharing their possessions, uh, meeting each other's needs together. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's a midweek thing. You get the sense they really did life together. That's what it means when we say gather. I don't mean just come on Sunday and make it a priority. I mean let's do life together. You know what? Some of my beef, I have lots of, lots of issues with online uh, church. 
One of my beefs with online church is that it's a great for receiving. It's not great for giving. How do you give in online church? Online church, you watch. Yeah, okay, that was great. And you receive, and you, and you can. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a helpful thing. It's a stopgap in times of pandemics. It's not from the pit of hell. It's not an evil kind of thing. But it's, it's certainly not a great replacement for in-person gathered saints, is it? It's, it's great to receive a, a message kind of thing. But guys, the, the, when we gather together, you hear, when we come here, we can both receive, which we should, and give. That's God's wisdom for in-person church, is that you're designed to be both a receiver and a giver. You know what happens when you don't come to church? And this is not me. If you've been around here, you know that we don't keep an attendance register. I don't go home on Sunday thinking, oh, you know, Devin wasn't there that Sunday. You know, little note next to his name. We don't, we don't keep record of that kind of stuff at all. That's not how we roll. Church is good for you. You should be there. This is, this is how I see it working in the scriptures. That when we gather, we are both blessed and we receive and we are blessing and we give. And what happens when you don't come to church is not that you just miss out on receiving, but you miss out on giving. And, and it, gets, it gets more than this because how do we give? We give through one another. So Stefan, brand new member, Bless you, welcome, Oaks. I, I met these guys in London, uh, what, like 2019, I think I met them at a church there, and it's great to have you, Oaks, now in our church. Stefan comes to church, God has, this is how God works, God has designed it that, um, let me pick on Wisey. Wisey's going through a rough time, a, a really rough patch, his faith is nowhere, he's struggling, he's just made it to church. <laughs> I can pick, pick on Wisey because it's not true. Uh, he's just here. He hasn't, he's not sitting with anyone. He's struggling. S- Stefan, almost unbeknownst to him, he bumps into Wisey outside there, starts having a chat there, encourages him, just notices him. And Wisey's thinking in his head, if no one says, how's it to me today, I'm never going back to church. If no one says, how's it, I'm going to give God one more chance. And if somebody says hi to me, then I'll go back to that church again. And nobody else says, how's it to him? But Stefan sees Wisey. And maybe it's not his normal thing. Maybe it is his normal thing. He bumps into Wisey at coffee. He says, hey, how are you, man? It's good to see you. I haven't seen you around. How, what's going on in your life kind of thing? How's your week been? And Wisey makes that decision. I'm staying with those people. I'm going to go back to that church. God sees what no one else sees. I didn't make that need known. Guys, I can tell you a million stories of how God works in and amongst a people. And when you don't come, You tap out of participating in God using you in the lives of others. That's what happens when we gather. God, you guys, I know you will have testimonies. I can open up the mic and you can come and share about how God has blessed you and used other people in the church. When you were struggling, when you needed help, when you wanted somebody to celebrate, whatever was going on, and it wasn't the message, it wasn't the band, whatever, it was just the people that God works through. That's why we need to be together. Not tap out, not lean out, but lean in. It's we give to each other. We don't just come here to receive. We use our gifts primarily, but we also just use our warmth and our love for each other. We just love each other. We do life together. It's not just Sundays. It's midweek stuff. I remember a story from years ago. One of the community groups 
I'm sure I've shared this story. Uh, in one of the community groups, somebody's uh, parent died. It was a very tragic kind of thing. Um, Quint and I at the moment, I think we're the only guys on the staff. This is a while ago. If you don't know Quint, he used to be on the staff here. Quint and I didn't find out about it. <laughs> no one told us. The community group rallied around that, uh, that couple. They got the meals. They helped them with fun funeral arrangements. They had people going around visiting them every single day. And a couple weeks later, somebody, by the way, let us know that that had happened. Now, is that healthy or unhealthy? There's mixed uh, things to it because somebody rocks up and says, hey, how are your folks? You know, they're like, no, they died. And you're like, oh, okay. No one told me. I'm sorry. You know, you can put your foot in it. I would advocate that it's healthy, that we have decentralized systems of care because you're amongst people and you don't always need the pastor to visit you or somebody else to rush in kind of thing. You are connected to the family. And there's people, they've got your back. You've got their back. You do life together. How many of you have had a baby, not so many in this service, and there have been meals rolling in? That's what happens. Yeah. Praise God, man. When you've had a kid, the last thing you want to do is cook. Or think about dinner. A meal. Meals just rock up. It's a way the churches just bless each other. Because that's how we do it. And when we talk about be communal, this is the conviction that I want us to get. That it's not something that we do, it's something that we are. It's who we are. When we think, how does my week look? One of your considerations is, how can I be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I make time for them? How can I prioritize Sundays, which already just happened, that I'm there, that I'm receiving and I'm giving? And how can I be a part of the rest of the life of the church and connect with people? We've realized that we need to open up more opportunities for people to be together. Uh, you know, a, a Wednesday night, 7.30 community group is brilliant for some people, but it's impossible for others. And so we're going to be providing more opportunities as a church this year, more creative ways for people to connect, to do life together. It's not just one vehicle that everyone has to jump into. There's different ways for you to connect with people so that you can genuinely do life together with people. Guys, let me be very clear. If you just attend a church and you're the first to leave, you're not, I, I don't know why you go to church. You, you're getting some of it, you're getting some of it, but you're missing massive benefit and you're robbing the place of God working through you to bless them. You, I, I would put it more strongly and say you're doing it wrong. You need to make some tweaks so that you can fully experience the life, the life that's in God's design for the church. One of the one of the most wonderful things God's given us as we close is communion, isn't it? One of the most wonderful gifts he's given us is communion, and I cannot wait. I'm not having a good COVID week, so I'm a bit grumpy about COVID reality. I, I cannot wait until we get rid of some of this COVID nonsense and we're done with these stupid miracle meals. Uh, I mean, they're, they're a great stopgap and they're a blessing, but I mean, these wafers, you know, body of the Lord is, did I, did I drop it? Did it go in? You know, and then you have to, like, the juice is like, it's like a near-death experience, and you're trying to, you know, you have to use all of your sanctified imagination, like, this is the body, oh, Jesus, the blood of Jesus, thank you, Lord. It's like, oh, I'm getting, like, you know, this is not doing my insides any good. My insides are, I think, stained red, 
all of us in this church for like 10 years. It's going to take that long to work out of our system. As soon as, we're, as soon as we are able to, we're going back to bread and wine. I promise I'm making a commitment to you as soon as we are able to. Because there's something when you break bread, you just hear loaves tearing. And you pass it around and you drink together. You're reminded, man, there was a body that was given for me. There was a body that was shredded so that I could be a part of this body. And there was blood that was freely spilt by an innocent man so that I could sit here forgiven and free and cleansed. And I look left and right and I think there are some who are like me, who once didn't know mercy but now know mercy. And this blood has had the same effect on them. It's washed, wisey, clean. It's changed his heart. He's my brother in Christ. We're together forever. That's what communion does. It reminds us of those things. And we get to celebrate those things. See, communion is one of those things that points to something more than just the elements, doesn't it? It points to Jesus. He's the one who's brought this whole idea and reality of the church into being. And so as we, as we celebrate now, I want to remind you that even though we take these awful elements to pray, God, please help us as we use these things again to appreciate you and what you have done in us, and what you've brought us into. And reaffirm, would you, God, our conviction that we want to be a meaningful part of this place. For as long as we are here, it's not like you have to never, ever leave this church, but as long as we're here, we're going to be here, and we're going to be in, and we're going to love each other, and serve each other, and do life together, and experience all of God's good stuff. We're going to be through the highs with each other, and we're going to walk through the darkest valleys together. Because that's what families do, and that's what a church is, a blood-bought family in God. Let's pray together and then share communion. Father, we could uh, never have thought up the idea of a church in our, in our wildest dreams, it would never have occurred to us to take people from every tribe and tongue and nation of the world and gather them together in, the, in a body, in a group called the church, who, who get to love and serve each other now and will for all eternity. We get to be on mission together with you in extending the, the kingdom of God on earth. And yet we, we thank you so much this morning you have brought us into your church. And we, we are reminded again this morning that we're a people who hadn't received mercy, but now we have. And you have been kinder to us than we deserve, and you continue to do that. You lavish love and mercy and grace over us. And I, and I pray for anyone here who's here this morning who hasn't tasted this fully who's still figuring things out, who feels like they're still on the outside looking in, I pray that you would give them the grace to cross the line of faith today, to put faith in Jesus, that they would feel you drawing them, choosing them, bringing them in to a family, cleansing them of their sin and, and making them your own today. And for those of us who, who know you, I pray you would give us deep and renewed joy in who we are in you as a church and deep um, commitment and conviction that we lean into our togetherness as a body with everything that we have so that we may love and serve each other and see you do the most wonderful things amongst us.
that it would be a truly life-giving place for us. Thank you for the years you've given us together as Parkhurst. And we pray that the coming years would be so much better, so much sweeter, so much richer, so much more fruit, so much joy amongst us as we share our lives together, as we are on mission together for you, as we live under your love and your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name.